Thank you for listening to Truth in Life, a concise Christian belief series. This class was taught on a Sunday morning at Christ the Word Church because we believe that God's Word is truth and that His truth should shape our lives. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. All right, we've got a little bit lighter crowd today. They're still working their way up the steps. We'll, uh, we'll go ahead and begin in prayer and get started, and uh, we'll, we'll welcome those as they, as they do come in. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you've given us breath and a heartbeat to worship you on this Lord's Day. Thank you for it. Thank you for the sunshine. Uh, Lord, thank you for bringing us to a place today where we can study your word, because as we study your word, you, we, we know that we're studying you. Uh, guide my thoughts and my words this morning, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, great to be back with all of you again. We are on t- in week two of this module, and the title for today is God Speaks. And we have this, uh, this six-week sequence that I, I believe I mentioned last week, is that we do nothing more in this class than take the path from God's words coming from His mouth and ultimately ending up in our ears in our minds and ultimately in our hearts. So that's the, really the only the sequence that we walk during the six weeks. We pause once or twice along the way and take a look around, and then we continue the journey. And, and you'll see how the journey progresses a little bit more this week. Uh, our outline seems simple. Only two main items, revelation through events and revelation through words. But this, uh, this revelation through words, I'll tell you, we actually won't finish number two today. In fact, we'll we'll have revelation through words as our topic for weeks two, three, four, and five. So this outline seems simple, but it is actually outlining a a big chunk of the rest of the class. Our big word of the week is smaller than last week's big word. It's forthtelling. It's a word that you may have heard of before, but that we often don't use in common language, and it is the first blank on your handout. Uh, The big word is forthtelling, which is nothing more than delivering a message from God. So when we speak of forthtelling, whether it be what we do as God's children or what the prophets did in days of old, it's actually delivering a message from God. And that's, that's really all the world word means. Our big we word only has three syllables this week. So not as big of a word as some others. Now, if you remember what we talked about last week is we said something that our author spoke of and that we gave some illustrations is that our beliefs determine our actions, right? When we believe, we begin to think, when one of our kids speak of the fact that they are interested in the things of God, we verify, verify that through their actions, right? We, we may be inclined and hopeful to believe that they are becoming a believer, but then we kind of step back as parents and say, well, let's see what the actions look like. In the end, our beliefs and our actions always line up. Our words and our beliefs and our words and our actions don't always line up because at times we're hypocrites. But in the end, our beliefs and our actions always line up. If you see what, how I spend my time, how I spend my money, how I act throughout the course of a day when people are watching, when people are not watching, you ultimately know what my beliefs are. So that's just a, simply a review from last week. All right, icebreaker question in a morning when our room could use some icebreaking. What is media? What do you think of? This is not, don't think of a Sunday school answer, just think of an answer. When you think of uh, media, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Just random words. Communication. Communication. Good. What? Information. Information. Others. Entertainment. Entertainment, did I hear? Yep, okay. What else? It's like a modality. I'm sorry. It's like a 
Modality, all right. Good, Wendy's going right to the definition. Very good. Reaching a lot of people, right? A message, all right. So we can think about media, and often we can think of social media, no one brought up. And oftentimes, and, and Wendy went where I wanted to go already, but whenever we talk about media, we sometimes want to vilify the media, right? And say, well, they're biased. Or we want to say, well, social media is just evil, right? And, and really, the media itself is nothing more than the mechanism that brings something to us. So whether we're talking about a spiritual thing or a strictly worldly thing, the media is nothing more. So do we have a problem with social media or do we have a problem with what's said on social media and the pictures that are portrayed on social media? Do, do we struggle with the fact that somebody puts a satellite dish up and beams a message to an, up to the satellite, to another satellite dish and into someone's home or onto someone's computer screen? Or do we struggle with the content that comes through on that media? So my only point in wanting to define media is to distinguish between the content that's, that's conveyed over that media and the medium itself. So that could be electric wires, it could be a loudspeaker, it could be your computer, your phone. Th those can all be pieces and parts of the media, of the, the medium, collectively the media. But really it's the message that travels over that medium that we're most concerned with, right? The rest is just a vehicle to get it there. So what's our definition? Uh, this is the, the Wikipedia definition. Media are the communication outlets or tools used to store and deliver information or data. The term refers to components of the mass media communications industry, print, publishing, news, photography, cinema, broadcasting, digital, and advertising. So a simple definition that I think we hit pretty comprehensively. But what is media as it relates to God speaking to us? So let's hone that definition down a little bit. Let's work a little closer and talk about strictly how does God's word get to us? Because the medium is actually important. And, and, and like our other discussions, there's a difference between the message being conveyed and the medium through which it is conveyed. So what's our definition? It's the ways in which the word of God comes from God's lips to our ears, minds, and hearts. So today we step back, go up to 30,000 feet, and take a look at what what is that mechanism that God's word gets to us? And it's actually, there's more pieces and parts to that than you might think. So we, we mentioned this briefly last week, and I want to focus on it here. I'm very grateful that I have Craig Twining in my class this morning, because Craig and I, at about approximately the same age, have had discussions before in social situations about how we listen to music in the late 70s and the 1980s. And Craig, what was the, let's just say 1980, what was the way to get the highest fidelity music you could, you could get? What was, what was the, if you were going to listen to something in your home, what would it be? You get a Macintosh stereo. There you go. So you got a very high-end stereo system, one that I couldn't afford in those days, new or used. And, and then, so, so you wanted to listen to uh, an, uh, uh, something put out by one of your favorite artists. What would it be? Would you use an 8-track to get the highest fidelity? Okay. What would you? Okay. So uh, although the generation after us now embraces some of this media again, it was really vinyl, really, to get the highest quality sound. And, and what if you want to listen to that same music in your car? What would you have to do? Depending on which decade. Yeah. It would have been 8-track cassette or a CD player. Okay. So 
you would buy the CD. But let's, 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 let's stay in the dark ages just for a minute and stick to vinyl, all right? And I know the older I get, the more my illustrations require explaining to those people who are younger than me. You'll see that in a very big way next week. So you'd make a cassette. Let's just say we got past eight tracks. Right. Did it sound better or worse than the album? Worse. It sounded worse. There was hissing, yes. right? And you have like Dolby noise reduction and that would help it a little bit, but still never, if you were home and you didn't have to deal with the fact that you didn't have a record player in your car, a turntable in your car, and there was one car in the 1950s that did have a turntable in it, but you'd say, I'll take the album every time. Because there was something lost when you went and made a copy of the album to a cassette so you could listen to them. There was a loss of fidelity of essentially the message. In the pre-digital days, uh, there was, a, and when we were listening to music in an analog way, there was a loss of fidelity as you made copies. It, it is if you've ever been to a doctor's office and they have instructions that leave you that office in writing. And what somebody has done is not printed those instructions off a laser printer. They've made a copy. And then somebody made a copy of the copy, and then a copy of the copy of the copy. And so now the letters got turned, like, you know, in 1997, the, the letters got turned 10 degrees one way. And then somebody had a, a smudge on the glass in 2003 when they made more copies. And, and, and there's a loss of fidelity as more and more copies are being made. What we have here is the beginning of the journey of God's Word from His divine voice, ultimately an audible voice, if humans are going to hear it, through primarily prophets and apostles. We'll talk about a few exceptions, but for the most part, God's word comes to us in written form through prophets and apostles, and ultimately gets, gets to that transcription onto paper, which we'll talk about, I think, in two weeks, or on parchment, or whatever they had available at the time. Here's the assurance that we have. This is not like the analog process that Craig and I and very few others in the room remember well, where you'd make a copy where there was loss of fidelity. We have assurances, and we'll speak to the scriptures today that help us with that assurance, that there is no loss of fidelity of God's word as you go from divine voice to the word through the prophets and apostles and the written word. So to my illustration from the very end of class last week, if you embrace God's written word, reading it, hearing it read, then you are getting the same fidelity. You are getting his word in the purest form as if you heard the audible voice of God. So you may be saying, even after last week, man, I'd, I'd still just like to hear God's voice. I'd love to hear an audible voice that makes my eardrums move back and forth and creates a sound that my brain can process. We'll give an example in a few minutes about people who got that opportunity and asked not to have it again. Okay? But something that I think will come up in every class between now and our sixth week is we want to remind ourselves that the divine voice to the prophets and apostles, to the written word, that there's no loss of fidelity at all. So let's make sure that we're reminding ourselves of that, that we don't take the familiarity we have with God's written word, then that, that familiarity doesn't breed contempt, right? We don't think, well, you know, I should read my Bible today. Wait, oh, I got this shiny object over here instead. When we have an opportunity to hear the voice of God, we want to embrace that 100% of the time. All right, so we talked about the lordship attributes of God. Today they are blanks on your handout. And the first is God's controlling power, the blank word on your handout's power, and that's his omnipotence. God's word never leaves us the same. We hear it for better or for worse, right? The word does not return void, we like to say, right? We, we are always changed by God's word. Sometimes hearts are hardened. Lord willing, they're softened by hearing his word. We have God's supreme authority, his omniscience. 
an authoritative word that is one that imposes obligations on those who hear. So God's word has authority behind it, and we are to respond and obey when we hear his word. And then, of course, we have God's presence with his creatures. We made the distinction between all the false gods, small g, of other religions who are distant from, from the people who worship them. God's presence with his creatures. Since God's word is God himself, he is where his word is. So when his word is read aloud in the service shortly, God is present. All right? And as we think of, we, we talked a little bit about studying God's character last week and how in a personal relationship, we always study the character of the person we're lo we love, we have a relationship with. We certainly want to study the character of God. While we cannot ascend to his holiness and his lordship attributes, praise God that we have examples here for ourselves. So for those that, that we are in authority over, we have real power. Most people don't use that power the way they should. We have authority. Most people underuse their authority, right? Uh, do, do we, for those that we influence, that we have responsibility over, do we demand things of them? And then finally, God's presence with his creatures. In the midst of using your power and authority, do you remain distant from those who you, whom you lead? Or are you close with them? Do you have a loving, close relationship with them? While we cannot aspire to this level of power, authority, and presence, that's our goal, right? It, it is. That's, we study the character of God with the hopes of assuming even a slice of his character and moving toward that more and more. All right, so back to Revelation Media. We have three categories that will dominate most of the rest of our time together, and that's events, words, and persons, which I don't think I... I I laid this out very well in your handout, but the next three blanks you see that might not all be next to each other are events, words, and persons. And we'll take, we'll dig into event, we'll finish events today, we'll start to dig into words and spend weeks and weeks on words before we finish week six with persons. So let's start with events. Revelation through events. Now there's different types of events, so we have a subcategories here. First are events of nature. Next blank on your handout, the whole creation and everything that takes place within it. Then we have events of history, a set of events significant to human beings and the spoken, written account of these events. So really as we progress as believers, we have more and more interest in these events the further we go down this list. So first, events of nature, second, events of history, and then we have two types of history we'll focus on. First is general history, the usual content of history books, the stuff we studied in school, right? That's general history. And then redemptive history, which is the Bible, right? It's the events by which God redeems his people from sin. And, and redemptive history can be thought of in one of two ways, either as a subset of general history or as a separate category. We'll look at it as a subset for the most part. So we have events of nature and history. Let's take them one at a time. I'll start, I'll put events of nature and events of history together. So let's imagine 1500s at what we now know as the corner of Central and Murd. Let's just say there was a deer. The deer, of course, was created by God. There was a butterfly. Whether this was a swamp, probably was a swamp. Swamp, or where there's maybe some trees growing. There's a deer out here. God created the swamp. God created the earth. He created the deer, created the butterfly. The deer steps on the butterfly, kills it. No one sees it. That's an event of nature. That's something that happened, an event that wasn't recorded as a significant piece of history. So that's all it is. But... We know from, from last week's study that that's general revelation, right? That's everything that God's created around us. As, we, as I look out these windows, as we look out these windows, 
speaks to from Psalm 19, from Romans chapter 1, we know that even the heathen sees into the character of God from just what God has created. So that's, those are events of nature. Those are, then we go to events of history. We drill down a little bit more. This is Columbus sailing in 1492, that the typical stuff we studied as general history, the stuff that's in, in history books, the things that has significance to our lives and in, 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 in the past that, that have significance to us. That's, that's all these things are. Are they revelation of God to us? Absolutely. And, and the unbeliever has that same revelation. But then we have, uh, well, let me, let me go through these slides in the order they're on here. Clearly, everything that God has made and every event that takes place reveals God in some way, essentially what we've been talking about. Could I ask someone to read Psalm 19.1? I sometimes get ahead of my slides a little bit. <clears throat> Okay, so this is a benefit to both believers and unbelievers, right? We are without excuse, Romans 1 tells us, because of what can be ob obviously observed by everyone. We get the wonder of God, but we also see the sin that's in the world. So general revelation, the events of nature themselves, will give everyone the, the diagnosis, right? Sin's a problem. You will read, you will hear on the radio and see on TV, people talking about the things that are wrong with this world. In general, they're right. The reasons why they're wrong is where they get it wrong. The world's very good at diagnosis because general revelation gives them the diagnosis. What they're bad with is the treatment. And that's where redemptive history comes in. I'm ahead of myself again. First of all, nature is not the word of God. You will sometimes hear people say, well, I'm going to be out in God's sanctuary today, which is a way of saying I'm not going to church today. Right? It is, I'm, a, I'm in God's creation. Well, this is media, right? It's not the message. It's the way the message gets to us. The Word is God, right? John 1.1, 1, 1, the Word is divine, not something created. Nature was created. Media is, are things that are created. So nature is a media of revelation. It's not revelation itself. So I, again guilty of jumping ahead here, natural or what I think of typically as general revelation, that which God reveals to everyone, the believer and the unbeliever alike, and the blank in your handout is knowledge, the knowledge that God conveys to human beings through nature. What does it do? It shows the kindness of God and convicts human beings of their sin. If I get a volunteer for Acts 14, 17 to read that for me, please. Oops. Sorry, bud. <laughs> All right, so we learn of the things that God gives everyone, believer and unbeliever alike. Zach, could I have you take Matthew uh, 545 for me as well? Okay. So we have this sense that part of what God gives, he gives to everyone. It is also what's called common grace, right? There's a grace that's given to us as his children, but there's also a common grace that's given to unbelievers. So the auto mechanic who always does a phenomenal job of getting your car fixed when you can't figure out, who curses our holy God every time he bangs his head on the underside of the hood of your car, who, who speaks of all the vile things he did the night before when he's with his coworkers in the garage, God still gives him common grace to give him the knowledge to be able to fix your car, right? There is a sense that 
None of us are getting what we deserve, and not even the heathens at this point on earth are getting what they deserve, right? All right, could I have someone, I, I mentioned Romans 1 before, I should have saved it for here. Could I ask someone to read this for me, please? <clears throat> Luke, thank you. It's always important to remember that even the person living in the faraway place who's never had a missionary parachute in and speak to him or her about Jesus has Romans 1, 18, 21, even if they've never read it, right? What can be known about God is obvious. And um, verse 18, we all have an inclination to suppress the truth. We're fighting it as believers. The unbelievers in general are not fighting it as we want to take a critical look at God's word as we study in future weeks, we have to always remember of what God's place and our place and the fact that we just want to suppress the truth. We have to be fighting that as believers all the time. All right, back to our outline. We have redemptive history. Everyone gets the diagnosis. They can figure out the diagnosis by general revelation, natural revelation. Only the children of God get the correct treatment for the, for the diagnosis, for the sin that's uh, in our world. And, and, and even the unbelievers lament the sin of our world at times, right, when they talk about the things that are going wrong. Let's focus on redemptive history with a few verses. Could I have a volunteer to read Exodus 7, 5, please? The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. All right, sort of a prototypical redemptive history, right, with Moses as a type of Christ where we see uh, the people being led, God's people being led out of Egypt. And then Exodus 14, 18. Parker, could I ask you to take that one as well? Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. All right, so there is a sense, not sense, there is a way that even redemptive history is obvious to unbelievers, even as the message isn't directly for them, right? Or, or, or Lord willing, some of them will become believers as a result of witnessing redemptive history. The Egyptians will know that I am Lord by what they see me do. All right. Psalm 66, 5 through 7. Could I have a volunteer for that, please? Okay, so here, uh, nothing more than a psalmist uh, recounting that redemptive history which saw God's people leave Egypt. We have more examples here, uh, first in John, New Testament examples. The beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So events that the believer witnesses result in conversions, right? When we see, when we see God's 
work in our midst. Those whose hearts are inclined toward him, believe in him as a result of seeing those. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and sign, wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. So another example of that. So again, I like to call it the, uh, the treatment to the diagnosis of sin. Redemptive history supplies what is lacking in natural or general revelation, the means by which God forgives sin. Our Savior was sent to take on the burden that des deservedly should be ours, right? Like general or natural revelation, it, redemptive history is a medium of God's word rather than the word itself. So we continue to make that distinction between the way the message gets to us and what the message actually is. All right, now we go into what seems like a small category, but is actually a very big one. It's revelation media's words. And when you were sitting down for a class that talked about God's word, we naturally think of his written word, right? Because uh, we've not heard his audible voice. And it's hard to think of people as Revelation Media, though we'll spend all of week six on that. So we have a breakdown that goes further here that are some additional blanks on your handout, and it's those three that we saw with the arrows before on the display. The divine voice, the word through prophets and apostles, and then the written word. Now, um, breaking down, if you're one of those people who likes to think ahead, we'll cover persons in four weeks. We'll spend the next three weeks on the written word. So this is essentially our outline for the rest of the class at a macro level. Uh, the revelation, the divine voice of God, is verbal in two different ways. It's a revelation of the Word of God. It's a revelation using human words as a medium. We know that there is our words from God that humans don't hear because Scripture speaks of the fact that the three persons of the Trinity speak with each other. And that just, that's intuitive, right? There would have to be some sort of communication. We have no idea what that language is. I have no way whether we can understand it. But somewhere along the line, there's that second revelation verbally where we understand it in a language that we know. The Word of God and the human words are not actually distinct from one another. In other words, the human words given to God through prophets and apostles primarily are the exact human word of what He means. He's conveying it, so He conveys it perfectly. There's nothing lost in translation. There's no hiss coming from a tape because we made a recording of His Word. His Word comes to us perfectly. In the verbal medium, God creates an identity between his own words and human words. And this is, Frame calls this inspiration. This is, for the man who it is ordained would hear his word as a prophet or apostle, God speaks to that man in a way that he hears that and it becomes inspired words or inspiration. So, step back for a second. Why, why do we need a Bible? Why do we need written words? If God spoke to men, why wouldn't that be enough? Why were those men then inspired to write it down? Several reasons. Memories tend to fade over time. I tell stories with my kids now. That, or I told a story about my sister and a huge scar on her forehead that came from an incident when I was supposed to be babysitting her years ago. And I tell the story. I've told the story to 100 people. And I was with my sister a few weeks ago. She said, that's not what happened. Like, I was there. No, you didn't do that. It was my head that split open. You were doing this. I, huh? Memories fade over time, right? Once everyone dies who witnesses the event, the recollection is secondhand. You can have a prophet or apostle who heard God's word, but every one of those prophets and apostles has since died. So now we're talking about secondhand information, which isn't as reliable. Words are written down so they can be passed on from generation to generation. And, and this, this slide may all seem intuitive to you, but it just makes the case for the fact that we need written words. 
they're much more reliable, right? And that's next week. With some exception, the divine voice speaks to prophets and apostles. We have some exceptions. We have Luke, who was not an apostle, but his authority is established by apostles elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, we have an example in Exodus 20 where the people heard the audible voice of God giving those words. Israel's, uh, they're camped at Mount Sinai. It's Exodus 20, verse 2. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What, by verse 19, what do, the men, what do the people say? Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. They had heard his voice. So the, the times you're inclined to want to hear God's audible voice, remember that those who, who, who were near to hearing that said, no, I don't want to hear it. Uh, could I have someone read Numbers 12, 8, please? Okay, and then Deuteronomy 18, 18. Martha, could I ask you to read that one as well? Okay, so we're, we're making the case here with some passages of how that fidelity is preserved from written, from, from God's voice to words to prophets and apostles to written words. Deuteronomy 18, 18 reminds us that this is the voice of God saying, I will put my words in his mouth. This is not Moses saying, well, here's what I heard God do, or here's what I heard him say. He's given the exact words to say. So how do you know that an audible voice is actually God. We're not going to be able to read all these passages this morning. It did, his voice didn't always appear to prophets and apostles the same way. Sometimes it was accompanied by a noise, as this passage. There was lightning flashes and thunder there. Sometimes his voice was by a burning bush when Moses heard from him. That's a one-time event from what we see in Scripture. Then there was an angelic display in Isaiah as he was given the words to give to the people. In the end, God ultimately identifies himself to his hearers. What you'll see in this class and probably a lot of the modules you've been through already is ultimately the answer comes down to God just does it, right? He makes himself known to his people. As, as we sit there and if we try to get going in an analysis of his word, well, what we're ultimately left with, he's here, we're far below him. In the end, this isn't us looking for a way to critique God's word. This is ultimately a matter of faith. That's, that's how all these classes ultimately end, right? He, he identifies himself to his hearers. So a, a phrase here that's in Matthew 24, 24, which I think is very important, is if possible. False Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. If possible is the key phrase there. Sheep know his voice. He knows the voice of his sheep, right? We will know God's voice. When we have a false prophet in our midst, we'll know it because it doesn't line up with God's word. God ultimately identifies himself to his hearers. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And, and this is a, a point I was trying to make earlier, uh, the, uh, the, vo the words of our author here. The word of God in the end must authenticate itself. It cannot validate itself by appealing to something higher because there is nothing higher. So if I 
teach today and you say, well, I'm not sure I believe that, and you go to God's Word, you go to something higher to either confirm or to refute something that I say. When we are faced with God's Word in front of us, there's nothing higher. There's nothing to appeal to above God's Word, and that has to be our posture. All right, so now let's look at the Word a little bit more detail through prophets and apostles. This is a passage we've already had here. One, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but not let God, let God not speak to us or we will die. So uh, the people are clearly expecting God's word to come through in true fidelity from Moses that way. And so what, what about God using fallible humans to bring his word to us? How does that work? We have uh, a kinship with Moses, right? Perhaps saying we're not ready for this. In fact, how many leaders in Scripture are there early interactions with God? This ain't me. I'm just a Jeremiah, right? I might even have that verse here. I'm just a child. What, what, are, you, what are you thinking, right? It is Moses. I'm slow of speech. It is Mary, uh, not, not acting as an apostle necessarily, but th those who've been called by God to do things are often feeling ill-equipped, as we are often feeling, feeling ill-equipped when we're called to do these things. Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in times past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. For I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. How many times is this not our posture? Where we opt out of something because we don't believe, we don't have the confidence that we can do it. Well, in and of yourself, you shouldn't. Right? What, what, are, what are we inclined to say no to? Because we don't think we're prepared. How often do we deny God's power and, and lead into something he calls us to do and say, you know what, I don't have any of this figured out right now. I, haven't, I don't have any idea how I'm going to get this done. I don't have any idea how I'm going to prepare six modules to teach Sunday school over the course of this summer. Right? How many times have we said about anything we've been called to do I don't have this in me. And how many times have you seen God be faithful? Time and time again, where, you, where you've simply trusted him. You've simply obeyed without having everything lined out for you and where you can simply see it. It just it never works that way, right? In God's economy, it is always us trusting him, having faith in him to do these things. How can I, how can I have children right now? How can I consider this? How can I consider that? We could, we could list hundreds of things that could apply to us we, we've been Moses, right? I'm slow. We talk about everything we don't do well. And, and this, is, uh, this is the history of Scripture. I guess I did have that passage. Uh, then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand, and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. If you want to conduct an interesting exercise next Sunday morning, do what I've done more recently as I've been teaching. Show up here 15 minutes earlier than you usually do for the express purpose of just looking around the narthex, sticking your head in the sanctuary, sticking your head in the lounge, walking down to the nursery, and look how many people are in there who don't have a single gray hair on their heads. Look at how many very young people in this church maybe were inclined to say, you know, 
because I'm a youth, I don't know what to do here. There's an awful lot of work in this church that's done by very young people. And I know everybody's starting to look young to me right now, so I get that. But, but if you look around this church, on a, even during the service, but if you get here early and just watch all the activities or the beehive of activity that takes place to prepare everything that we are the recipients of during, during this cl these classes and then during uh, worship service, <laughs> what you see is people who didn't say, I don't want to do this, I'm too young. You see very young people greeting people on the way in. You see very young people preparing and leading worship. You look in the, in the, sound, the sound room behind us, you see how young the people are there. Uh, we need to live this as a church, right? We need to say, say no, you're, you're not too young to do this. You're not too young to serve God, whether that be you know, a two-year-old obeying his or her parents in the home uh, or, or all the work we see done in this church. We, we're, we're tempted to say we can't be this person. We shouldn't do that. Again, we're establishing here the fact that the written words through prophets and apostles were divine still. And here we see in the book of John, Jesus speaking, and he establishes back to the Old Testament the authority of prophets and apostles with this passage. Could I have someone read this for me, please? So Jesus, speaking about the Pharisees here, gives authority to the words of Moses. It says, my words and Moses' words align up. In fact, Moses was talking about me. So we see the authority of apostle, of, the, of uh, prophets in this case, established by Jesus. Quoting our author one more time, it is clearly wrong to think that there's a decrease in power, authority, or divine presence, those three lordship attributes that we bring up every week, between the divine voice and the word of God in the mouth of a prophet. Now, in future weeks, We'll talk about other issues. What about a bad translation or a paraphrase? What about a bad teacher? What about someone who's preaching something that's heresy? We, still, we have a week ahead of us to study all those things that cascade down from the true, real Word of God. We've got those coming up. But at this point, we're stopping at the first written copy of God's Word. And we're going to spend a week defining what the first written copy was, so we've got, we've got time for that as well. But at this point, what we want to say to ourselves and what we got to believe is ultimately hearing God's divine voice, hearing a apostle or a prophet speak it, or seeing it written down in its original form. Is, there's no loss of fidelity. There's no loss of those lordship attributes. All right, let's, uh, let's ask, look for a volunteer for Matthew 10 here, 19 and 20. Okay, just continuing this drumbeat of verse after verse to speak to the fact that those who are ordained to give us God's word were given his exact words. Not a paraphrase, not, hey, here's what I think I saw, but the actual words of God. We'll need to skip through some of these. Let's do this one, John 16, 13. Could I have someone read this, please? Okay. 
Okay, so we even have the Holy Spirit giving the words of God the Father. All right, one more. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 5. Now we'll give just one example of a prophet here. Uh, actually, let's, let's go to this one instead. Could I have someone read Galatians 1, 11, 12? All right, so here we have Paul making the case there with his apostle. I want to get an example of that in there as well. So our, our big word is foretelling. Foretelling is predicting the future. That is the next blank on your handout. Foretelling is delivering a message from God. And I do want to spend just a few minutes here as we think about application, because when, when I think of prophets, I won't speak for any of you, but maybe when you think of prophets, you think of prophets predicting the future. And, right, and often... At the beginning of a prophet's ministry, there was often a future telling, right? There was often predicting the future. I think of Elijah as the prototype there, where he said, it isn't going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And that helped establish his ministry. But most of what you see in Scripture with prophets is forthtelling, delivering a message from God. Now, we may not be good about predicting the future, right? That's, we, we don't necessarily aren't given that, but... To the extent that prophets deliver a message from God, in the, ca in the case of the prophet, handed to them as you know, God's verbal, his, his audible voice, we have his written word to do the same thing. Uh, we can be like the prophets in terms of delivering a message from God. So you know, we have to do it accurately. And we don't have the same inspiration. We have the inspiration in the written form, but we're not called in the same way that a prophet is. But we can imitate, to a certain extent, what prophets do by taking. And, and there's also a little bit of foretelling in there. I'll give you an example. If you have a very proud child and you've worked with that child and he or she is still proud, what you can say is you can do foretelling and deliver a message from God simply by quoting his word. You can say, you know, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And you can do a version of foretelling that says, you know, God will humble you. We know that this is true about the future because God's word is true. He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So we can say to the proud man, to the proud child, God will oppose you. It's a true I don't know when. I can't tell you it's going to be on March 17th. I can't tell you when it's going to be. But I do know that God... So, so a prophet, even in forthtelling, F-O-R-T-H, can look to the future with God's word and say, look, this is just what's going to happen. Now, can we misapply God's word? Absolutely. Can we misinterpret it? Absolutely. Those are all... We're all susceptible in this day and age to that. But how much of of what we do could be forthtelling. We could take the God, word of God to people, those whom we love, those who we don't see walking with the Lord, those who claim to be and, and in our authority and in our influence, deliver a message from them. We have to do it in humility ourselves, of course, because we're susceptible to the same thing that others are. But um, the vast majority, as you read through Scripture and see what prophets do, it's actually forthtelling more than foretelling, simply taking God's word to a person, which we can do in a written form, can't do it in a verbal form, but we can do it in, in, as God's written word and say, look, this is what God's word says. I really want you to change. Or, look, this is what God's word says. I'm very encouraged by what I'm seeing in your life right now. You're, live, you're trying to live like this right now. That's wonderful. That's great. This, it isn't always a rebuke, right? It can also be an encouragement. So how do you identify a false prophet? And we'll end with this today. Uh, but, but the prophet who speaks a word presumptively in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. 
you may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? In other words, how do we identify a false prophet? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptively, and you shall avoid him. You should be afraid of him, rather. So we should be afraid of people who use God's word presumptively. We have to be very careful about that ourselves and be careful around others who do the same. And there's actually a threat there, right? My family and family devotions this week, we were talking about Nadab and Abihu who were consumed and killed instantly because they offered up strange fire. Of Uzzah, who put his hand out with something that kind of at one level seemed like it would be helpful to keep the ark from falling, who was killed. Ananias and Sapphira for bringing some money, but not what they said they were bringing, right? We see people die as a result of their sin. And we're told here the false prophet will die. All right, so how do we identify the false prophet? Speaking in the name of a false god. That's mentioned in that passage. Making predictions that don't come true, right? There's always these people who say the world's going to end on this day, and then they pick a new date when that doesn't happen. Those are kind of obvious to figure out. The world laughs at those people, right? Important point is that these are marks of a false prophet, but not the test of a true prophet. Now, if I were going to blaspheme, which I'm not going to do, and use the name of our Lord, which I'm not going to do, I, I'm, I'm not doing that, I could say... My favorite football team, Detroit Lions, are going to lose. Okay, I could say that. But here, here's what happens. They always lose. <laughs> so all I'm doing is using what God's done in the past as a means of predicting the future. I have no way of knowing this. Now, in the earlier classes, I got it right every time. But what I'll say, but if I were to do that, it doesn't make me a prophet because I get it right. If I say, if I say, if I do some false prediction of the future, which God, of course, doesn't give me those words, and it happens to be right, that doesn't make me a prophet, right? It just makes me somebody who guessed based on what God's done in the past as a means of predicting the future. So, so we want to be careful. Somebody gets something right doesn't make them a prophet. That doesn't mean that they've got advice for us on the future and on foretelling and everything else. We have to be very careful. The flashy thing that happens that somebody predicts and gets right doesn't make them a prophet. We have to be on the alert for that as well. So with that, the good news is my Lions did not lose this weekend because they're not in the playoffs. That's not good news. So, In fact, now the Lions hold the longest active playoff record drought. That They've not won a playoff game since 1991 because the Bengals won last night. So um, it's uh, nothing else, nothing to do with my class other than me lamenting my ongoing misery. I am a Lions fan. I am not smart, but I am loyal. So you have to give me that. All right. Um, let's pray. Father, we are uh, grateful for your word. We're grateful, Lord, that you allow us to know your voice so we know the false prophet. Lord, I am grateful that uh, you give us your word, that you ordained in generations past that there would be prophets and apostles that would be given this word. You, you called them to be obedient and write down your word, and we have it for ourselves today at our disposal, and we'll be hearing it in this worship service shortly. Father, be with those involved in that service. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd have our hearts prepared for that worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Truth in Life. If you enjoy this series, make sure to subscribe. And remember, this is truth to live by.